Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And we have some words of God in the book of Ecclesiastes, and let's turn to that ninth chapter and finish it this morning, the Lord willing. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, the book of philosophy given to us by the pen of Solomon, but by the Spirit of the living God. Ultimate happiness on earth under the sun, described for us in about 60 lessons. Lessons that I hope that we can learn and memorize and, uh, and apply to our lives. That we can return to this book from time to time and remember the lessons that are there. By the grace of God, we'll have an outline that should be sufficient for the task when we're done. That will take these little bite-sized lessons that are in this book. That we can easily remember what we learn from these pages. And have other cross, many other cross-references there to help us see it in light of the whole Scripture. And then we can put it to practice in our lives. We have a lesson in verses 7 through 10. Let me read that to you again. We'll just take a couple of minutes there. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, And let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Amen and amen. Amen. This is a lesson. This is ultimate happiness on earth. Of course, it it assumes that you have already learned the lessons that led us to this lesson. But this is how we are to live in light of death. It has told us in the previous three verses that a living dog is better than a dead lion. And that while you are still alive, there is hope to have a good life. It's your choice whether you're going to take advantage of what God is telling you. There is The whole Word of God should be taken into consideration, but we can't preach the whole Word of God to open up every sentence of it. So that's to be presumed on your part that you remember the things that you've learned already. Even the things that we've learned this morning from Psalm 19, Deuteronomy 4 and 2 Kings 7. But here we go, right here, verse 7, go thy way. Do not stay up day and night trying to figure out the providence of God as it's described in the last few verses of chapter 8 and the first few verses of this chapter. You can't figure it out by any degree of intelligence or effort. So do not waste your time trying to figure out what's going to happen or what the Lord's going to do or what the Lord has done or why He did it. You can't figure it out and it's a worthless exercise. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong unto us and to our children. So he says, go thy way. Go thy way and stop worrying about what philosophers worry about. I'm laying it out to you here and I'm telling you what you ought to do to enjoy life. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy. That's a choice. To be thankful and cheerful and joyful about the things you eat and to enjoy every meal. You get hungry several times a day because God chose for you to get hungry several times a day. God could have easily arranged it so that you could be fed in some way that didn't involve any hunger or pleasure. 
But he lets you get hungry, so you have to, you have to do it again. I don't feel the have to very often. I feel the want to. Because eating is a wonderful thing. And so go thy way. Eat thy bread with joy. Drink thy wine with a merry heart. It doesn't say drink to get a merry heart. It says to drink your wine with a merry heart. If wine helps give you a merry heart, then starting with a merry heart, you're really going to end up merry. Because that's the way it ought to be. Oh, what, what a terrible religion we have. And I rejoice with you. This is the word of the living God. Amen. This, is the word, this is the word of the God that drowned the earth with a flood. Right. This is the word of the God that is going to come and burn this earth up and melt everything with fervent heat. Because they never gave him credit or glory or blessing or honor for the fact that he is a creator God with eternal power and a Godhead. Right. But for those who do, which is the only people that the book of Ecclesiastes is written to, is those that fear God. It is only written to them. It is their part of their secret treasure, one of 66 books in God's Bible. Right. It's not for other people. How many books of Moses do you think was ever printed off in tracts and distributed to the Philistines? None. How many were taken to the Egyptians? None. They had already made their decision. They wanted to worship dogs, totem poles, Sun, moon, they wanted to legitimatize sodomy, bestiality, and other gross incestuous crimes where the Lord said, if Israel, if you don't go in and kill the seven nations of Canaan, the land itself is going to spew them out. They are so abominably wicked. This is a treasure for those that fear God. And once you fear God, go thy way. Because God now accepteth thy works. If you fear God and put the things and circumstances of your life in His hands, and you trust Him, and know that you are in His hand, verse 1 of chapter 9, then go thy way and enjoy life. It's a choice to eat thy bread with joy. Children, I read this past week that they're rationing food in Cuba. Now that's how effective communism is. It's always been that way. People starve in Russia from a lack of food. Because they don't know how to produce the most from the ground, even though they have one of the most fertile chunks of real estate on the planet. You've never had felt starvation. You've never felt hunger. You've never missed a meal. You've never missed one of your six or seven meals a day. You're doing so well. But it's a choice. When when your mother puts something on your plate, you should be thankful for it and enjoy it. There will be a very few things that God has put in your makeup that you don't like. But don't let it be something up here. Get over that. Eat your bread with a, with a joyful heart and drink your wine with a merry heart. God accepteth your works. Let your garments be white. Let your head lack no ointment. Use some cologne. Wear your favorite clothes. Don't wear your work clothes all the time. Get into some pleasant clothes and relax and enjoy yourself. This is the word of the Lord. White clothes are cheerful clothes. They're clothes you're not going to get dirty because you're not going to go work in white clothing. You're going to relax in white clothing. It's a house robe. It's to sit around the house and relax. It's to sit in the back deck and tip a glass and bless the Lord for all He's done for you and rejoice in your labor one day at a time. That's how you're to live life. And you can get to the end and you've had a full life. But if you waste one day or one night in bitterness or anger or hatred, you have lost your life. Because if you do it one time, I'm going to tell you what happens the next day, you do it again. 
And you do it again, and pretty soon, you're middle-aged or you're old-aged, you're on your deathbed, and you say, my life was miserable. Well, let's make it a great life one day at a time, is what the wise man is teaching us. Verse 9 is another choice. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. This is a choice to love your wife and find ultimate happiness and fulfillment under the sun in your wife. This is a choice. If you're looking at other women, then you deprive yourself. You lose. If you are too busy for your wife, you lose. Being busy is not having a happy life. You go to work and you work a reasonable number of hours and you do it with your might so you don't have to work 15. If you'd work hard enough in 8 or 10, you wouldn't have to work 15. If you were done in 8 or 10, you could come home and enjoy God's blessings on how to experience real happiness in life. And that's to be happy in your marriage. And women, it applies to you as well as it does to men. It's just that the Bible is mostly written to men because the men are to go home and teach their wives. And especially in the writings of Solomon, he's writing to his son and to men that they would teach their sons and their sons' sons. That's the whole Bible. But it applies to women as well to be happy with your spouse. Don't be thinking of a better man. Every day you think, if I wish my husband was more romantic, you lose. Every day you think, I wish my husband was a better communicator. You lose. Maybe he doesn't know how to communicate. I'm sorry your father didn't love you enough to protect you from a non-communicative husband. I'm sorry that you were so stupid to marry so low. But it's too late to think any of those ridiculous, wasteful thoughts. Every day that you spend, any moment that you spend thinking about, I wish my husband was this, or I wish my husband was that, or I'm so sad, I'm so sorry, it's so pitiful that my husband is this way, you lose. It's a choice to live joyfully with the husband whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. You are as imperfect as your husband is imperfect in your eyes. And I would suspect because you're so critical of him that you are more imperfect than he is imperfect. So stop your thinking that way and choose to live joyfully with the spouse God's given you. It says live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. It's a choice to make every day. I want to share this day with my wife. I want to get over work and I want to get home. And I want to share it. What's the great reward for labor? It's to go home and share it with your wife. Tell her your war stories. Share a promotion. Share a few bucks. Let's go spend a few. I've got a cheap one. I love my wife. She's so cheap. If I get her a cream soda and a small bag. Listen, I can't eat a small bag of peanut M&M's. If I eat one, I need a pound. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But you know what I mean. She, she's so simple, in a good way. Amen. If I get her a cream soda and a little bag of peanut M&M's and say, do you want to drive around for a little while? That's the biggest date I can give her. If I go spend more money than that on her, she doesn't understand it. She doesn't appreciate it anymore. It's wonderful. That's what you go home for every night. Right. You want to get home. I want to get with my wife. I want to tell her my war stories of what happened today. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. You know, some men will say, well, if I loved my wife, I'd live joyfully with her. That isn't what the verse is telling you. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. It doesn't mean to look through your harem and find the one that you love and choose to live joyfully with her. Love in the Bible is not a a fact or a circumstance or a hope for thing. It's a commandment. 
You know, the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Does that mean until you get cheerful, you shouldn't give? Or should you choose to get cheerful and give? The Bible says that a man ought to take the oversight thereof willingly. Well, what if I'm not willing? Should I still take the oversight? Or does it mean to get willing and take the oversight? And when it says, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest, it's telling you two things. Love your wife and live joyfully with her. Or it's assuming the fact that you already do love her because you're the one that picked her. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Life is vain. The beginning of the book, the end of the book says all is vanity and vexation of spirit. But do you know how you can get something out of this vain life under the sun? Get a woman. Get a good woman. Get a woman that fears the Lord and then share life with her day by day. Every morning is a good thing with a good woman. I'll leave that to your imagination. Every evening is a good evening with a woman. Share it with her. This is the Word of God. Eat with joy. Drink with a merry heart. Wear good clothing. Put some cologne on. Enjoy life. Relax. Don't worry philosophically about what's going to happen or what my purpose is here. God's already told you your purpose. It's to fear God, love Him, trust Him, believe in Him. He's got you in His hand and He's given you a woman. He didn't leave us alone in the Garden of Eden with just Himself. And a, and, a, and a garden full of trees that we could eat the fruit off of any one of them. He gave us a spouse. You know, Naomi thought for Ruth's sake, I need to find you a spouse so that you can find rest for your life. Because there's rest in a spouse. If you choose to be joyful with your spouse. If you don't, you lose. You get to 40. You get to 50. And you feel that you've wasted your life. It is your fault 100%. Because there's already someone that has wasted their life to be married to you. Husband or wife. So live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. We went over this last Sunday and I'm not repeating. I have, I have reasons for repeating myself. So do not be frustrated with me. Which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. Twice that's repeated. That in this vain life you have all these vain days. There are things to enjoy. Eating, drinking, being married, choosing to be joyful, and having fun with your spouse. Every day should be fun with your spouse. I can't wait for daddy to get home, is said by good mothers to their children. I can't wait to get home to be with my wife. Because you want to do something together. And it doesn't have to be cost money. It takes a little bit of time. And it takes a choice to live joyfully with the spouse that you love all the days of your life. For that is thy portion in this life. God said, this is what he's given man. Even in the Garden of Eden, when man did not have a sin nature, and there was not sin in the world, it was not good for the man to be alone. In a perfect world, there was something not good. Because Adam, sitting around reading the Bible all day long and talking to God all day long, was not good. I don't care what any priest or nun of Rome says to the contrary. That is a monastic view of denial of the flesh that is ungodly and wicked. It is not enough for a man to be with God. It is not enough for a woman to be with God. That is not enough in a sinless world. It is not enough. It is not good. Those words were uttered before there was sin in the world. You can believe whatever you want to about that. But you are wrong if you take a pharisaical, monastic approach to it and think that in a monastery, praying and reading the Bible all day long is what God's called Christians to do. Oh, no, he has not. 
He made a woman for the man, and he made a man for the woman. He put the two of them together naked, and he said, Leave your father and mother and have a blast for the next 50 years. And I'll be with both of you, and the three of us together will make a triangle that will be perfect. For God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the man. The man's the head of the woman. And that is life. It's leading about a sister. It's worshiping the Lord together. It's being heirs together of the grace of, of life. Not being heirs alone of the grace of life. It's being heirs together of the grace of life. Marriage is a wonderful thing. What am I so angry about? Can you believe that there's a religion of 1.1 billion Christians that says the highest calling on earth is to be single? To take a vow of celibacy like the priests and nuns of Rome? I went over that. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I want you to think about it. It was not good for the man to be alone. That is in Genesis chapter 2. And here we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and we're told what happiness can be for a person on earth. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. You, God, God brought you a woman in the time and chance of life. You took a look at her. Circumstances worked out. You fell in love with her. You chose to marry her. You're, now you're married to the woman that you love, the, the, woman of your, the wife of thy youth, and your choice is to live joyfully with her every day. But it's not just a choice. It's a commandment. Because in the New Testament, it says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Your wife should be very important to you. And you, every day you should enjoy with her. And any day that you don't enjoy with your wife, and any day that you go to bed at night where the two of you are upset at each other, you are ruining your own life, and you're sinning against God, and you are a dysfunctional mess. And you should never call yourself a Christian. A Christian should have the best marriages possible. Because the Bible's te- look what the Bible's telling us. This is the duty of our religion. Not only, sh- not only can we get married, we should get married, and we should use that marriage for, vi- for enjoyable reward and portion under the sun. Verse 10. Let's get to the next thing we can do to enjoy life. Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with thy might. Because we're talking about death. Remember it was death in verses 4 through 6 that says a, dead, a, a, a living dog is better than a dead lion. It's talking about death. And so one of the ways to live in light of death, the living know that they're going to die. The dead don't know anything at all is what verses 4 through 6 tell us. But since the living know they're going to die, we should live in such a way to maximize our lives before we do die. What is one way you can maximize your life after you get a spell? Get yourself a man. Then get yourself a job. A job that you really love. Because if you've got food and drink and a spouse and a job, you've got it. Find a job that you're good at. But first of all, be good at any job you've got. No matter what the job is, do it with your might. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And those of us who have had different kinds of jobs in our lives know that some of those jobs are better suited to us than other jobs. And when you find one that you're really suited to and that's gifted to your aptitudes that God's given you, but all jobs do with your might. God is not going to give you the job you really want if you don't apply yourself with all your might in the jobs you don't really want. If you're faithful in that which is least, and if you're faithful in jobs that you don't like so much, God will give you a job after the desires of your heart. Do I, why do I believe that? I believe that because it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Because the Bible says, No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. You'll get the job that you want. And do it with your might. Be excited about going to bed at night because you get to get up and go to a job. Don't go to bed resenting that job in the morning. Because guess what? When you die, you don't get to go to work. Work is a wonderful thing. And if you don't love work, 
you have a serious spiritual problem. Work is a good thing. Adam, even in the Garden of Eden, before he had a wife and before sin was in the world, he was put there to do what? To sit around in a chair? To stand at the water cooler and exchange jokes? To dress the Garden of Eden. He had a job. The job just got a little tougher because he wanted to sin against his Creator. But he had a job in the beginning. And we do it with our might. Working hard is a wonderful reward. To go home at the end of a day, drained physically, maybe drained mentally, knowing that you've accomplished something, you drive home, I did something today. Thank you, Lord, for a job that I can put my hand to with might. Thank you, Lord. If you don't believe it, you're a skeptic like the man that said, if the Lord were to open the windows of heaven, could this thing be? Amen. You're a skeptic against the Word of God. This Bible is telling us, and this book of philosophy is telling us, that a job that you do with your might is one of the ways to be happy. You want to find ultimate happiness in life? Then choose to be happy with your diet. Choose to be happy with your clothing and at home and relax and enjoy yourself. Choose to be joyful with your spouse and love your job and do it with your might. If you want a better job, then take a half an hour a day looking for that better job, but make sure that you give your employer every minute that you owe him and that he's expecting from you and do with your might because the Lord sees everything like that and he will give you the job that more, that better suits you if he's merciful to you. He doesn't owe it to you, but he will give it to those that put their trust in him and believe the Bible. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do with your might. There's a, there's a pitiful thing happening. In our nation, and in the last few generations, the degree of zeal put forth by men does not measure the zeal put forth by their fathers in most cases. Right. We have a lazier generation. We have a generation that's less thankful. Our fathers did not get, our grandfathers did not get to choose jobs like we get to choose them. They got stuck with something. The economy had not developed to the place where they could look in a newspaper or go to hotjobs.com and pick from a hundred different options for a job and simply click send on their resume and, and apply to that employer. They didn't get to do that. They got stuck with something. But you know what? Our fathers worked harder than this present generation. They didn't yak and talk all the time. They didn't carry cell phones. They didn't have MP3 players. They worked. And they didn't work eight hours. They didn't work what they call an eight-hour day with an hour lunch and two 20-minute breaks and pacing yourself the rest of the few hours that you're working, they applied themselves. We need to remember what the Bible teaches. We should not go by our peers around us. Everybody is pacing themselves through life. America's too fat, it's too happy, it's too lazy, and it's, gonna, it's about to be punished. And it is being punished. Nobody wants to save. They want to spend more than they have. We have a savings rate that's negative in this country. A negative savings rate will destroy this country. Because everybody wants too much for too little effort. They want more and give less. That is not how we get ahead. That is not what the Lord teaches. The Lord wants you to do with your might. Zeal is a wonderful thing. Zeal isn't just for great men, but I'll tell you, there's no great man without zeal. Zeal is a wonderful thing. Every one of you on the job should have a reputation. You're the hardest worker they've got there. You should be known in your family. You should be known in your neighborhood. You should be known to distant relatives that you are the hardest worker in the family. If you're not known as the hardest worker in the family, then you're known as a sluggard. You're slothful. You're lazy. You're not fulfilling Ecclesiastes 9. This is not just Old Testament religion. Romans chapter 12 tells us not slothful in business. 
When you get up in the morning, you put your might into it. And you work hard all day long and you work till it's time to quit. And you're there the next day. And you apply yourself. You love your job. You throw yourself into it. I fear that you might under- misunderstand the words, but you sell your soul to your job. Don't misunderstand my words. But you're not, your mind isn't wandering around all day. I wish I had a better job or this or that. Or, or thinking about Monday night football like the advertisements want to tell us. You're there to put your might into that job. Because that's part of enjoying life. That's part of benefiting from life. That's part of getting to the end of life and having a reward for having lived. It's, it's one of the portions that God's give, God has given us under the sun. That whatever he gives you to do, do it with your might. Finding the perfect job is not as important as doing a perfect Job with that job. But you know, the Bible says that he that keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. If you take good care of a business, then you're going to be able to eat the rewards of that business. But let me tell you something. You better find a fig tree before you... Make sure you find a fig tree. Because there are telephone poles and fence posts in the world. Don't go think that by stroking a fence post, you're going to eat the fruit of that tree. Because it doesn't have any. So just, you know, understand, when the Bible says... He that, waiteth, he that keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. It said fig tree, not telephone pole. You can't go rub a telephone pole and get figs. So you better find a job, a career, a position, a company, an employer, a master that rewards good behavior and then give your, give your might to them. And you'll be taken care of. Most men will. Because if you make their job easy by performing well and making them money, they're going to want to share that with you because they want you coming back tomorrow. So that they can make more. That's just the way it works. The Lord tells us that we are supposed to presume that way on employers. Because we are their money. Without us, they can't make as much money. And so the more money we make them, the more they want us around, the more they're going to pay us to keep us around. Hey, that sounds like it all works together for good. That's wonderful. That's the way you're supposed to work. Women, I let you off the hook last Sunday. No longer. A woman should apply herself with all her might. If you have time to sit and chat on the telephone, if you have time to sit and, ch- and text people, if you have time to Internet surf, then you're not doing everything that the Lord expects you to be doing. You're not doing everything you should be doing. Is your house perfect? Is your husband perfectly satisfied? Are your children perfectly loved and cared for? Are you perfectly in shape and perfectly attired? Are you a great woman? Or have you cheated? I know that women, some of you women, a a husband works from sun to sun, but a mother's work, a wife's work, is never done. But do you know what Proverbs chapter 31 describes? It describes a woman, she strengthens her hands. She girds up her loins with strength. And she attacks her daily job. And do you know when she gets up? Before, with, or after her husband? Before. Before. When does she go to bed? Before, with, or after her husband? After. Read it. Now, that's not an absolute rule if you get enough done during the day. It's just an example of the perfect woman in Proverbs chapter 31. I'm glad there isn't a Proverbs 32 that would have that list for a man. I, I, I say that because I know Proverbs 31 is hard. Every time I write a commentary on Proverbs 31, I go to my inbox the next morning and I do not want to open it because some women from around the world are going to write me and ask me, why aren't you picking on the men? Because Solomon wasn't going to waste his time picking on the men. He was talking about women and what kind of a woman his son should marry. the, the, The mother of King Lemuel was doing it. That's why it's in the book of Proverbs. Women. Proverbs 31. Go read it. 
It's not being sweet and cheerful. That's a little tiny part of your life. Do you know what the number one character trait in Proverbs 31 is for a woman? It's very easy to see. And don't go to verse 30 and say the fear of the Lord. That is a premise in one verse. But what does every other verse refer to? Diligence. 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 Hard work. Hard work. And a man that sees his wife working hard and keeping the house up, the children up, him up in the community uh, with the law of kindness in her mouth to the poor, helping everywhere she can. He knows he's got a great woman. He's going to be praised for the wife he's married and he's going to love that woman more. But whether he does or not doesn't matter. Because whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do with thy might. If you have a husband and three children, and sometimes you think you've got four children, then God has given you something that you have found with your hands, and you should do it with your might. Because the better your house is, and the better your children are, and the better your husband is, the more fulfilled and happy you are in life. If you put something off, you know what the next chapter is going to tell us? By much slothfulness, the building decayeth and falleth through. If you're a lazy wife or a lazy mother, then your husband, your marriage, your marriage falls apart. Your children fall apart. They're not as spiritually minded. They're not as good as they should be. They don't have the right habits. Your finances fall apart because you're not a good woman. You're simply too lazy. You like sleep too much. Get out of bed. There is more pleasure in getting something done in the morning than there is in lying in bed for two extra hours. Absolutely. If you think there's more pleasure in lying in bed in two hours, you have a spiritual problem, you have a physical problem, you are all messed up. Because to get up and get an early start in the day and to get something done, for those of you that have tried it once in a while, you know that there is a great reward by 9 o'clock to know that you've got half a woman's work done and it's only 9 o'clock. Oh, that's a good feeling. What sort of thy hand find to do, do it with thy might. A woman is not just a pretty thing to sit at home. A woman is not somebody that drags out of bed, puts on a pair of sweatsuits, wanders around the house, and hopes her husband gets her pizza when he comes home from work. A woman jumps out of bed and attacks the jobs that she has. It dresses up when her husband leaves. It's the prettiest woman he's going to see all day. Then he comes home to her at night and he's not interested in anyone else. And she works hard all day so that when he comes home, the place is all ready to relax and the two of them together can eat their bread with joy, drink their wine with a merry heart, and whatever else comes to mind. Do you know how many husbands here? Well, I've got to get supper on the table. Well, I've got to get another load of laundry done. That ain't no Christian marriage. What were you doing all day, woman? Your husband was gone nine to ten hours. That's what an eight-hour day requires in travel time and lunch break. What did you get done in nine or ten hours? The Lord's given you every witty invention. You should be able to keep up six houses up and down the street in those nine hours. Now, if your husband's given you some other duties like teaching your children at home or having a home business or both or whatever you're doing, then you understand that you've got more on you than other women. And that husband better be hearing me as well. So he doesn't too much put too much on his wife or he misses out having the wife that Ecclesiastes 9 is talking about. Right. A woman can't do everything that you expect of her. You've got to line up your priorities and make choices so that you get the woman you want. Now, if you want a school teacher and be married to a school teacher and that's the emphasis of her life, then fine. You'd be married to a school teacher. And I'm not, say- I'm not saying anything beyond that. I'm saying you've got priorities to line up because a woman can't get everything done. Just like if we give you three jobs, you aren't going to get them done. Just keep all that in mind. This is how we have ultimate happiness in life. If a woman were to follow Proverbs 31, she'd be a great wife. She'd be a happier wife. 
whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. God made you a woman. God brought you a husband. God brought you two little children on the outside, one child on the inside, and you've got a job to do. And whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Heather, do it with your might. Rhonda? Francis? You know, every woman. Do it with your might. The verse applies to women as well. That's why I'm taking a few minutes on women. Let's go to the next lesson. Oh, verse, verses 11 and 12. Look at this. I returned. I stopped my observation and analysis about finding happiness in life of verses 7 through 10. I returned to my studies in a different direction and saw under the sun, life on earth, that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. For a man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. Verses 11 and 12 describe time and chance that happens in life that upsets our plans and expectations and makes us dependent upon God, whereby we should submit every plan we have to the will of God, whereby when something happens we can say, it is the hand of the Lord. Every single time, it is the hand of the Lord, and we submit to it. In the day of prosperity, we rejoice. Thank you, Lord. In the day of adversity, we consider, because both are the hand of the Lord. Time and chance happeneth to them all. Now, listen carefully about the interpretation of that verse 11. The race is usually to the swift. There's ellipses in these verses, and they the Lord expects you to be wise enough to figure it out. Does, does verse 11 mean that if you line up one fast man and a bunch of slow men, that the fast man's always going to lose? No. no, that's not what he's teaching here. He's teaching that the race is usually to the swift, but there are enough times the race is not won by the swift that it upsets your apple carts, your plans, and your investments. Oh, yes. Oh, who, what, do you, what horse do you want to bet on? The year 2008. How about Big Brown? You know anything about Big Brown? Adam's not letting you know a little bit about Big Brown? Hmm. Okay. Big Brown won the first two horse races of the Triple Crown by over ten lengths each. He was a shoe-in to win the Triple Crown, be the first Triple Crown winner. That's winning the three biggest horse races in the year. Big Brown. Big Brown's owner was shooting off his mouth all summer long about how his horse was invincible. They came to the third race of the Triple Crown. Do you know what position Big Brown finished in? Last. Amen. Last. Right. Time and chance happened to them all. Yes. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. Now, what happened to your bets on Big Brown? Oh, it was painful. Oh. Painful. Because time and chance happens. And so the Lord wants us to realize you can, the best laid plans of men come unglued when time and chance take them, take them by surprise. There are so many things that could be said. Listen, I love Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan was a great mile runner. He's now a senator of the United States Congress from the state of Kansas. When I was a little boy growing up, I wanted to be a runner like Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan ran a high school mile in three minutes and 59 seconds when he was still in high school. He was unbelievably fast. He could run at 800 meters in one minute and 44 seconds in high school. He was a freak of nature. He was so fast. But in the 1972 Olympics, he tripped and fell and did not win the 1,500 meters for the United States of America, he could have jogged the last lap and won it. 
time and chance happen to them all. The race is not always to the swift. And we want the word always in there. The race is not always to the swift, nor the battle always to the strong. That is why we should say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Meaning, go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. We might get there for a month and have our relatives die back home and have to leave that business and close it down. We may get there and have that business for the whole year, but a competitor opened up across the street that had a store that was twice as many square feet and twice as nice and kept us from making any money. Because time and chance happeneth to them all. And it's called an evil net that takes a fish. You know, sometimes nets are made so that they catch fish and move them from one body of water to another body of water. That's not an evil net. But there's another kind of net, and it's the kind I like better. It's the kind of net that catches a fish and puts it in a frying pan for me to eat that night. That's an evil net. And there are men taken in evil nets. And there are birds taken in snares to be eaten. And there are men that are taken that way. There are so many examples about time and chance altering the affairs of life. And we learn that they are in the hands of God. All time and chance is in the hands of God. And brethren, I can't preach the whole book of Ecclesiastes, but chapter 11 is going to tell you how to face time and chance. It is going to tell you that the man who looks at the clouds waiting for the perfect day to sow his field will never sow his field and he'll never make a dime. So do you know what you do? You get up, and if April 1st is the time to plant your seed, then you go out and plant it. You do not look at the sky. Right now we have a whole nation that is looking at the sky saying the sky is falling. They sound like Chicken Little. The sky is falling. You just get up and go to work tomorrow and do your best, and God will take care of the rest. That is chapter 11. It says where the tree falls, whether it falls to the north or whether it falls to the south, there will the tree lie. You ever wondered about those words? That's telling you that God brings trees down. You can't alter them. If they fall to the north, that's where they're going to be. If they fall to the south, that's where they're going to be. If the Dow Jones is going to go to 8200 on Friday, then that's where it's going to go. You aren't going to stop it. You aren't going to know about it. You can't do anything in light of it. Just let it lie there. That's all the passage of of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the first six verses. We had a 90-foot monster tree fall this week and just miss our little guest from Malaysia. It touched the corner of Tim's house and would have crushed that corner of the house if it had fallen in a different direction. When I heard that news, all I could think of was Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Whether a tree falleth, it's going to lie. Whether it falls to the north or whether it falls to the south. If If a man observes the clouds, I'm going to wait for the perfect day. You'll never get anywhere. You know, the man who waits for a perfect pitch at the plate in baseball strikes out. He's called out on strikes because he's waiting for the perfect pitch. You get up there and you do the best you can. You get up in the morning, sow your seed, even though the economic situation looks difficult and bleak. And if somebody comes to your door at night and they're hungry, give them. Give. There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. If you think because there are hard, hard times on the horizon or because the cloud formations look like there's some economic difficulty and you want to hold back more than his meat, you lose. Right. Ecclesiastes 11. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I can't wait to get there, but it's going to take a couple of weeks. Don't, don't observe the clouds. Don't observe the newspaper. Don't worry about the Dow. Go to work and do what the Lord puts in front of you with your might. Amen. You say, I could lose my job. Then do it with your might. The Lord will give you another job. Amen. But if you don't do it with your might, the Lord will let you have what you want. I want to be unemployed and sit at home. Because that's, that must be what you're thinking if you don't do it with your might. I do not understand people who pace themselves in a job. 
I did not understand it. And I'm thankful there's a few brothers in this church that don't understand it either. Because we love to sit around and talk about it and talk about the people that like to pace themselves through their jobs. We don't understand it. It's too much fun to work. Right. When you die, you can't work. When you're sick before you get to die, you can't work. When you get old, you can't work like you could when you were a young man. Some of us old men wish that we were young men again so we could show you young men how to work. Right. It's too much fun. It's pleasure. Solomon said it was, so don't believe me. Believe Solomon. It's the word of God. I returned and saw under the sun. What is the lesson? We devise a way in our heart and the Lord directs our steps. Time and chance will help. Time and chance. There's an evil net that catches us. But do you know what? Sometimes there's a big blast of hot air from the, from the mouth of God on our backs. We set our plans and we don't know if they're going to work or not. And God blows and they prosper. I knew a man once who was so scared to open up a little restaurant because he never, he'd never made toast correctly in his life. But to open up a restaurant was beyond him. Scared out of his wits. And a few of you brothers kicked me over the, I mean, kicked that man over the cliff with your big size 12s and said, just do it. And the Lord went, in our favor, and it was wonderful for several years. Then the Lord went, in the opposite direction, it was very difficult. But you know what? The Lord is merciful and gracious in all His ways. And there's a man and his family, well beyond all that whole experience, prosperity and adversity all in one. And there's so many of those things in life. But the Lord gets us through them all. The wise and the righteous and their works are in His hand. We get through all those things. Every one of you have those experiences. You've lost here. You've gained here. And we just trust the Lord. We go home and eat our bread with joy, drink our wine with a merry heart, put on a white garment, put some cologne on, grab the wife, and work hard. And trust the Lord. The lesson, we don't envy the wicked when they surpass us. It's just time and chance. The Lord's given them a little time and chance now because they ain't going to get much later. The lesson, we don't envy our brethren. Time and chance. You may be outworking your brother and your brother gets promoted past you or someone else in the job. Time and chance happeneth to them all. We give thanks to God for every success. We submit every plan to the will of God. And we humble ourselves before God when He blows against us. It means the ablest, the ablest among this church in any particular category should not boast or presume because 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Whatsoever you have, you received it from God. That means there's no room to glory in it yourself because it's a gift from God. The lesson, the weak should not despair. If you feel you're weak and you can't really get ahead, then just keep doing with the might you've got what the Lord's put in front of you. Live the way this describes because time and chance is not all negative. Time and chance is also very positive. And it can help a person that doesn't have a great deal of ability. If they'll put forth their might, God will help them. Was there some decent time and chance at Dunkirk? How about Midway? There's, there's probably five men in this church that think the Battle of Midway is the best movie that, that a person can watch because of the providence of God and the military affairs of the United States of America. That was the biggest naval engagement of World War II in the Pacific conflict. And they had the advantage. They had a better navy. Listen, the, the, the nations we fought had better militaries than we did. Listen, the Germans had a six-to-one kill ratio against the United States. We were pitiful. If they hadn't been so small, they'd have won. But the Lord was in charge of all that. That's why they were small. The Japanese had a better navy than we had. But if you watch the Battle of Midway, time and chance happened to them all. Those poor Japanese admirals and the decisions they made. 
They were so grieved at their hearts to make those decisions. They were so scared while those planes were being rearmed with torpedoes on the decks of their carriers and filled with gas. They were hoping that no fleet, would, that no air, airplanes from the United States would find them. And lo and behold, several hundred found them. Right. And put most of the Japanese Navy at the ocean's floor. By the grace of God. Because it's time and chance. Here's a problem, and it's going to be the last lesson of this chapter. A little bit of wisdom on a man can deliver a city from a great king that heaps up great bulwarks against it. And yet it is the human nature that most men esteem and honor show and strength rather than wisdom. Because Solomon could not believe that that poor little wise man who delivered the city was forgotten in all the hoopla after they defeated the great king that brought great bulwarks against the city. That's the next lesson and it ties to this one. Because most men esteem strength and show above wisdom. But Solomon tells us in that passage, wisdom is better than strength. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Wisdom is the superior thing. And wisdom understands that there's time and chance. And so a man's heart deviseth his way, and the U.S. Navy devised their way, and the Lord directed their steps. They caught the Japanese fleet. They found the Japanese fleet. They sunk the Japanese fleet that was in the most vulnerable position they could be. Listen, there are some movies that there is no credit given to God in the movie, but when you get to the end, all you want, and all the way through it, a wise man is saying, Praise the Lord! Thank you, Lord! Time and chance happen to them all. The battle is not to the strong. You know, those that like numbers, the battle is not to the strong. The battle is made up by time and chance. And it's the Lord that's in control of time and chance. Ask Mike Tyson about time and chance. Any of you old enough to remember Tokyo, Japan, 1990? Do you know that there's a guy named James Buster Douglas on this planet? James Buster Douglas couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper bag, as considered by anybody who was an authority on boxing. But he knocked out Mike Tyson. All of a sudden, he was the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Time and chance happened to them all. Time and chance meant that in Zaire, my man, George Foreman, did not land one of his big ham fists on the face of the mouth. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, I won't explain it because that'll waste your time. For those of you that do, you know that time and chance is everywhere. Right. Do you know what time and chance happened to the American relay teams in the Olympics that were run just a couple of months ago? They dropped the baton before they could get it around the lap, the circle. You know, it's only 440 yards. But they both dropped the batons in the, in the 400 meter relay, 4 by 100 meter relay. Time and chance happened to them all. Right. You know, they're running at full speed and they reach forward to put it in an open hand and they just somehow miss it. Time and chance happened to them all. The largest ship in the world sailed from Liverpool, England. They called it the unsinkable Titanic. Sailors said even God couldn't sink this one. Time and chance happened to them all. The best equipment, fully aware staff, sailing at full speed through an ice field. We're good enough to avoid them. We've got the best lookouts. There's other ships in the area. 
We've got lifeboats. We're eating our bread with joy and drinking our wine with a merry heart that night. And they struck an iceberg. Time and chance happened to them all. The Lord does not like to hear words. Even God couldn't sink this one. The Lord does not like to hear words. If God were to open the windows of heaven, could this thing be? $8.3 trillion has been wiped off the balance sheets of Americans in the last one year. Time and chance happened to them all. Hedge fund managers that made billions last year. The number one hedge fund manager in the world last year made $3.8 billion personally. You've never heard of anybody else making anything close to that. $3.8 billion can buy, can buy all the NBA, all of its franchises, all of its coliseums, all of its players. Don't think about Michael Jordan or anybody like that. $3.8 billion is in an entirely different league. This year, the average hedge fund manager is losing money because time and chance happened to them all. Right. Do you know what they did? They watched oil go from 50 to 120. When oil goes from 50 to 120 and you're a trend follower, then that means you jump on saying, I'm going to go along for this ride. And they made money from 120 to 140, but on Friday, oil closed at $77. If you're long oil at 120 and it closes at 77, you need a new job because you're out of your present job. Hedge funds are dumping their stocks. That's why the stock market is falling, because they're losing so much money. They have to sell their stocks to give the few cents back they have on a dollar to those that have invested in those hedge funds. And it's a horrible depressant on the stock market. Where did all that come from, and why am I using it as an illustration? Why am I using Buster Douglas? Why am I using the Titanic? Because time and chance happened to them all. They do not know it. They cannot see it. And we do not live with that kind of risk. We do not take the kind of risk that they take. And we know where those changes come from. It comes from the God of heaven. So we say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. When you come to the last verses, verses 13 through 18, let me read them to you. This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city and few men within it. And there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of wise men are heard in quiet, more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroyeth much good. A great king, great bulwarks, besieging a city, he's going to take it. It's a little city, it has few men in it, it's going to be overthrown. But a poor man in there was wise. And and Solomon doesn't have to tell us what his stratagem was, but the stratagem worked. His wisdom delivered that little city with few men from the great king and the great bulwarks. But the poor man was never remembered because the world loves show and strength. Even though show and strength are inferior to wisdom. And so that's, this is, Solomon said, I saw this wisdom and it seemed to me great. First of all, it's great in that wisdom is better than strength. Chapter 10 is going to ridicule strength. Ever seen the meatheads that perform on television in the world's strongest man contest? I mean, that should, should give you the point of 10.10. 10.10 says, if he do not wet the edge, then he must put two more strength. 
But wisdom is profitable to direct. A little bit up here is worth more than here. You take one of those meatheads and give them a two-by-four and they'll think that they can chop down a tree. But give me a little geek that will sit by the side and watch the guy get a pump, watch his blood vessels pop out, and watch the sweat beat up. And you know the guy looks impressive in a... In, what do they call those little athletic t-shirts? Let's not use that word. The little geek sits there and takes out a little piece of metal from his pocket and files the blade to a sharper edge. If he do not whet the edge, then he must put two more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. And the little geek gets done, and he walks over with his little skinny 15-inch arms, and in about eight blows, down comes the tree, while the big meathead over there is flailing at it with all his might. He could, he could probably take the little geek and put him into orbit. But it doesn't matter because... Wisdom is better than strength. And Solomon said, I observe this, but the big guys get all the talk. The big guys get all the show. Do you know that there aren't any magazines in your local magazine shop that ha that's a geek magazine? Pictures of geeks for the next 50 pages. You know, there's pictures of meatheads. Because wisdom is better than strength. Now listen, there are some men that can have both. That's a gift from God. There are strong men that are also wise. I make, I'm trying to make a point, so please don't write me an email about muscle and fitness has intelligent guys in it. Wisdom is better than strength. Solomon said, this is great. This wisdom have I seen, and it seemed great to me. But that's only one part of the wisdom. The other part of the wisdom that Solomon observed that was great to him was, why doesn't the wise man get the attention and honor that he should? Why does the attention and honor go to the big guy with all the show, all the talk, and all the strength? You know, the big military, the big financial wizard, the big hedge fund manager, you know, those are the ones that get written up. But there are men with wisdom that are superior to them because wisdom is better than strength, whether that strength is military, physical, financial. Wisdom is better. Learn wisdom. With all thy getting, get understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get it, is what the Bible teaches us. What else can we learn from this little section? Verse 17, the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Now, because of what was just said in verses 16 and 15, that the wise man is ignored and neglected, this is not a general rule in verse 17. It is what should be and what is done by wise men. Wise men will listen to a wise man speaking in quiet rather than all the yapping and hollering of a fool, no matter how strong or successful. And so we ought to be seeking out wisdom and hear a humble wise man speak his words in quiet more than him that ruleth among fools. You know, the preeminent fool of a group of fools. We should want to listen to a humble, quiet, wise man. That must be the interpretation of verse 17, because it's going against verses 15 and 16 that say a wise man is not heard. He's forgotten very quickly. So it's what should take place. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. One man who's a fool can mess up everything, can mess it up in a family, can mess it up in a church, 
Just think of the nation of Israel. Achan cost men's lives and upset that nation greatly until he was taken out of the way. King Saul, in a battle against the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 14, said, I don't want anyone in this army to touch food. You cannot touch your K-rations until we get back to camp and the battle's over. And you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says that the nation would have wiped out the Philistines that day if it hadn't been for Saul's foolish rule. Because one man destroyeth much good. Do you know what started that battle that day? It was Jonathan and his armor bearer who said, Brother, I'm bored sitting here playing cards with the rest of these guys. Let's go take on the Philistines ourselves because it doesn't matter whether we take, on, take them on with many or few. And Jonathan and his armor bearer started a defeat of the Philistines so that they were fleeing from two men. Right. And the rest of the army joined in, but Saul had said you can't eat. And in all their chasing of the Philistines that day, they got famished. Jonathan broke the rule, took some honey, had his eyes enlightened and could keep on fighting. And the issue that day was Israel went home to their houses weak and sick and they had gorged on raw food because they had gone too long without food. Read the whole story. First Samuel 14, the Philistines went home to their houses. They could have wiped out the Philistines that day, but one man destroys much good when that man's a fool. Saul was profane in everything he did. Oh, Lord, help us. Amen. You know, the Bible says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. And so I say to every one of you men, Are you a fool in your own house? Proverbs 11:29. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. You are ruining your future. You are ruining your family tree unless you're a wise man. This is the word of the Lord. These are the lessons of, he, of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 10, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with thy might. Know that time and chance happens on both sides for adversity and prosperity. Consider in the day of adversity. Rejoice in the day of prosperity. Go ahead and submit your plans to the will of God. Know that he's in charge of it all. Wisdom is better than strength. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Exalt wisdom. Get wisdom. But yet know, wisdom will be neglected by the world because they prefer the cry of a ruler of fools than they do the humble, quiet voice of a wise man. But choose to be the wise man and listen to him whenever you have a chance to. May God bless the preaching of his word to the comfort of our souls, the instruction of our hearts and minds. And may we go forth and not observe the clouds and not worry what clouds are gathering over the United States, but get up tomorrow and do our job, come home, love our spouses, and enjoy our lives and trust him in all things. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.